Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 84, GM Problems, recorded Thursday, April 21st of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. Peter, how you doing? Oh, doing pretty well. It's been kind of a busy week, but uh, it's going all right. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) How about you? <laughs> uh, super busy, honestly. Gee, you've I, got a new child and you're super busy. Yeah, it works insane. I'm running two departments, so. Good gravy. Yeah, and, and I'm not getting sleep. <laughs> Let's just be honest. There is no sleep. Between the child and the job, I can't imagine what might be the cause of that. Yeah, exactly. But, complaining aside, uh, things are actually going, you know, pretty well. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. A um, couple of quick news and notes things before we get started with our topic. First, and most importantly, we are now available on Google Play Music. They finally launched that long-promised podcast service they've been talking about. So, if you want to listen to us there, just go out to play.google.com slash music and search for Saving the Game and subscribe to us there. Uh, If you're an Android user or you use Chrome or Google desktop apps or Google Play, you know, any of that stuff, you know, hey, uh, that may be an option for you. They don't have reviews and and ratings and that sort of infrastructure yet. I don't know if that's coming. I really don't know what the long-term plan is for that. They seem to be more going a Stitcher alternative than an iTunes alternative, which is interesting. Regardless, if that's your thing, have at. Uh, I have heard good things about it so far. So, there you go. If it gets widely adopted enough, I might actually be able to switch my podcast listening over to that from what I'm currently using, which would allow me to take an app off my phone, which is always good. That's kind of my thought. Um, But, you know, regardless, if that's your thing, go for it. Yep. Speaking of iTunes, if you uh, like what we do on the show, you know, rate and review us. That's a big help. And uh, as always, if you have any comments or feedback, put those in the comments on this episode at stgcast.org. Or email us at hosts at stgcast.org. Tweet at us. You know, we're on Facebook, Google+, all the usual places. Yep. Uh, I was going to talk about the you know, kind of the next things that we're doing in our games for our group, Peter, but I think we've got too much to talk about, honestly. Yeah. So we may save that for another episode or two down the road. This is one uh, of those times where Grant and I outlined ourselves nearly into oblivion here. So, yeah, we spend about an extra hour writing out the outline so yeah we normally start recording about seven my time it's 802 right now yeah and all of that was outlining yes oh, we are well, warped and crazed individuals outlining and also you know my daughter came in to say good night and you know little things like that but what oh. you gonna do i am not one to begrudge a man his parental joys fair enough anyway enough talking about what we're going to talk about yeah, let's start talking about it. Let's get our there scripture out of the way here and then move yes, into our topic. Definitely. One thing I do want to remind everyone, we pick these pieces of scripture because they are relevant to the episode topic. So hear them and then kind of try and meditate on them while you're listening to the rest of the episode. Want to take the first one? Yeah, I'll take I'll take Proverbs. Okay, so this first one is Proverbs 28.16. A tyrannical ruler practices extortion, but one who hates ill-gotten gain will enjoy a long reign. And our second is Second Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Our topic tonight was going to be problem GMs, but we kind of decided to go a different route. Rather than pointing at GMs and saying, look, these kinds of GMs are the problem, we instead want to talk about GMing problems and where those come from, what the root problem is, how those manifest in different ways, and how to treat those, how to deal with those as a GM and sometimes as a player, 
at a table where the GM's manifesting one or more of these problems. This is not going to be comprehensive, and this is a pretty arbitrary, although not entirely arbitrary, division of these problems into root causes. I have a dream of coming up with a big, grand graph of problems and how they manifest in games. This is a decent first start. Uh, yeah. But there will there will be ones that other people want to include. Put those in the show notes, you know, or, or comment on them. This is certainly enough to work as a basic troubleshooting guide, particularly if you've noticed you've been having problems yourself. This might... Let me put it to you this way. As we were making this outline, I realized some things about my own GMing issues and how I might want to address them. So hopefully it will have a similar effect on you. Yeah. So the first of these, and we've identified four root problems, at least for this episode. We may do a follow-up, like I said. But the first of these is avoidance. Trying to avoid certain thoughts, feelings, situations, etc., Typically, this is seen in people who suffer from anxiety disorders, although it doesn't have to be part of an anxiety issue. Uh, I will tell you that I do suffer from anxiety issues, and avoidance is a big problem for me. So that's this is a hallmark of my GMing problems, is avoidance. It does create a vicious cycle. Whatever uncomfortable thing I'm avoiding is never dealt with. And so I always have to keep avoiding it until I finally, for whatever reason, have to face up to it. And yes, that feels good, but that reward for, hey, getting it dealt with is not enough for me to look forward to dealing with it the next time. So I'm always stuck in these cycles of avoiding things. Sometimes this will create cycles of overwork and doing too much. Although, for me, usually it's procrastination. But it's very often, I don't want to deal with this, let me do a lot of things to make sure that it will never happen again. I don't want to get sick, I am going to constantly be washing my hands and using hand sanitizer and, you know, that sort of stuff, to the point where it's excessive. This may superficially look like obsessive-compulsive, but the cause is very different, so don't confuse the two. Such as the burden of an anxious mind, huh? Yes, it really is. When when this comes out for GMs, I think this comes out most with overprepping and underprepping. Okay. Overprepping, and I have done this, is a kind of avoidance in its own way. Well, I, I say that. Overprepping is an avoidance in a couple of ways, right? I'm avoiding winging it. I don't feel comfortable winging the game. I don't feel comfortable in following the lead of the players in the direction that they're going, but I don't want to try and railroad or have any of those other control issues, so instead I try and prepare for every eventuality. Or, sometimes, overprepping is putting excessive time and detail into particular parts of the game at the expense of the important parts, or other parts, things that I don't like doing. I feel compelled to jump in here because there's another form of overprepping that comes in sometimes, mm-hmm. and that's when somebody is inordinately fascinated by the minutia of their own setting. It's like, you you may have a great deal of love for like historical uniform button designs, but your players don't care. Right. And this is one of those things where it's like, if you're gonna if you're going to go to all of that detail... And you derive enjoyment out of it, and it doesn't hamstring the game. It's not really over-prepping. It's just something that you're doing for fun. If you insist on if you insist on wedging it into the game over the objections of your player group, then it's a problem. Well, it's, it's over-prepping or possibly railroading, depending on exactly how it falls out. Eh, excessive description, I don't think, would really fall under the description of railroading. Well, perhaps not. But taking up a lot of time in game dealing with it. Yeah. We've got some verisimilitude things to talk about later as well. For me, overprepping tended to be, hey, I'm going to focus on incredibly detailed encounter maps. 
because I am comfortable designing encounters and laying them out and doing all these cool visuals. I like using Photoshop. I like using the map designing tool. I'm going to carefully trace out all the geography so the line of sight stuff in our virtual tabletop works. And all of that is a ton of work, but it's a lot. It, it helps me avoid the part I don't like, which is writing a story. And interestingly, when you got away from this in the Shadowrun game and just resorted to looking up floor plans online, it worked out really well for you. It did, although you will note that I still never came up with a overarching story for the game. I specifically said this is going to be episodic so that I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, but that's fine. I mean, if that's the structure of the game from the get-go, that's that's a known and accepted type of gaming. It's a weakness that I have, and I compensated for it in the Shadowrun game much better than in the Eberron game I've talked, I've hinted at where I did this mapping behavior, right? Because I had not really identified it properly. I'm struggling right now to write out a Rogue Trader campaign. It took me a long time to get even the basic outline of what's going to happen in play, and I still haven't nailed down all the details because I haven't wanted to. I've been focusing on character creation. So I need to sit down and actually plot out, okay, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. That's got to happen, or the game's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, but you've got some time still, so... I do, but I'm just saying, I can kind of see myself doing it again, okay? Well, that self-awareness is an important part of addressing the problem. It is. One other thing I want to mention about overprepping, it's very easy to avoid these, you know, like I said, uh, parts of game prep that you don't like by focusing on the parts that you do. This may also be uh, an avoidance behavior for something that you don't want to deal with that isn't related to the game. Uh, I'm, I'm having trouble with my girlfriend. I don't want to talk to her. I'm, uh, you know, things are tense. I'm going to bury myself in game prep so I don't have to do that. That sort of thing. Under prepping also does has, comes from the same root many times. If I'm uncomfortable with how the game is going, or I'm uncomfortable with committing to decisions about the game, or I'm uncomfortable with story ideas, I may just not do it. I'll put it off. I'll do something else. Procrastination is a real problem for me, as my wife will attest to. <laughs> and uh, it comes from that same anxiety about the things that I, I, I don't feel like I'm doing well. Uh, I even do this at work sometimes, and I have to really stomp down on it hard at work. So, I'm using myself as an example because it's a very convenient example. It, it's right here, and I don't mind talking about it, hopefully because it will help someone else. This is, I think, a fairly common problem for a lot of people. Yeah, I've definitely seen it before in other GMs. A couple of important notes about prepping, since we're talking about this kind of tied into avoidance. There is no objective correct amount of prep work for a GM. Some people like to have, you know, maps and background music and detailed NPC character sheets. And that stuff all makes them feel comfortable and feel like they can just sit back and relax and run the game when they're there. And it doesn't get in the way of writing the other stuff. Exactly. There are other people like Chad Watler from Fear the Boot who basically walk in with a couple of ideas scrawled on a sheet of notebook paper and can run an amazing game off the cuff. Sure. I tend towards the latter style. I'm not yes, quite as loosey-goosey as Chad is, but that's definitely more my inclination. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do a good job with it. Oh, thank you. And I think the uh, GM of our werewolf game probably does something very similar, where he's like, yeah, I've got a, a few sketched out ideas, and uh, here, just go with it. Yeah. Certainly seems to be the way he's been handling stuff so far, and it's working out pretty well. Yeah, it's worked very well. A couple of tips for handling avoidance issues. First, schedule your time. And this is true whether you're over-prepping or under-prepping. If you set aside a certain amount of time where it's okay to do this and you don't have to worry about other things, and you can convince yourself that you don't have to worry about the other things going on during this time, which is the tricky part, okay, then... That helps. You say, no, this is my time to work on my game. It is set aside for that, and if I only work on my game during this time and don't worry about dishes or cat litter or have I played enough with my kids or have I prepared enough for potential job loss this coming 
next six months, you know, all the anxiety issues that may or may not be real. If you just set those aside and say, no, this is game prep time, that helps because you don't have the the nagging sense of guilt about those things during that time. Second, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to ask for assurance, right? Is this good? Is this enough? Is this too much? Ask for it. If you feel like you need a, a start on something, ask for ideas, maybe from your gaming group. Say, hey, what would you like to see in this next session? And then use that as a, a seed for your next idea, you know, whatever it is. That can be especially helpful if you're not the only GM in your gaming group, by the way. We're really fortunate in our particular group in that three out of the four regular players have GM'd before. Right. So we've got the ability to ask about that. If you are not so fortunate, that's one of the places where online communities like uh, the forums of RPG podcasts, Reddit, etc. can be a real gold mine. Yes. If you're overprepping, set limits ahead of time. Kind of lay out, okay, how much do I need to run this game? And what is the done marker for an NPC, a map, a encounter, uh, a story? When do I say this is done? Sometimes these you, you let yourself do this when you don't let yourself decide when you're done. And I, I don't know if that makes sense, but... If you don't have an upper bound, you can just kind of keep going. And, oh, no, no, there's there's still more to do, still more to do. Yeah. Another way of looking at this is um, take the large task and break it down into smaller parts. And then you can kind of conquer each one individually. You've got Habitica mentioned here in the outline. That's That's useful for this kind of thing, certainly. It's also useful for another problem that I have personally that I don't mind talking about, which is that a lot of the time my memory is like a sieve. So if you, like me, are kind of forgetful and prone to not remembering stuff, don't be afraid to give yourself some help using resources like that. Yep. Another thing, ask yourself what you're avoiding. And if you can't figure it out, ask someone who knows you well. Once you know what the real issue that you're avoiding is, that's the first step to addressing it. You can't address the real problem that's causing you to procrastinate or causing you to just go crazy on a game until you know what you're trying to avoid. It's as simple as that. This can be tough. It may well cause you to deal with some difficult things that you have been avoiding, but you're not going to get anywhere without that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean throw yourself in front of the feelings freight train here, but if it's something that big, you may want to seriously consider getting some professional help in dealing with it. I've been to counseling for anxiety issues, and it helps a lot. It's fine, you know? Uh, but even just talking to a loved one can help a lot. Okay, so the next uh, major category that we've got is bad personal behavior. Right, and this is a kind of catch-all category, because there are a lot of reasons why people are unpleasant. Yeah. And we're not really qualified to talk about those in most cases. This uh, heading used to just be jerks, so... <laughs> yeah. They I'll give you some idea of where we're going with this. Um, yeah, we're going to kind of go through this quickly because many of these would require their own special uh, specialized episode. Yeah, in particular, the second one on the list. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say is my kind of rule of thumb for this category is if somebody is unpleasant out of game, odds are they're going to be unpleasant in the same way in game. And maybe, you know, they're letting that that sort of bad behavior fly at the table because they feel like it's a safe place to do that. Yeah. So, GM in context, there are a couple of different ways this being a jerk manifests. So, Peter, start us off. Okay, so the first one, and probably the one that gets complained about the most online, is the adversarial GM. This is typified by an attitude that the players and GMs are on opposite sides, and that's really toxic in most games, unless you're playing something like Paranoia or uh, probably just Paranoia, really. Um, I'm sure there's some others out there that I'm not thinking of, but generally speaking, um, and 
Grant's to credit for this particular idea. The the player GM relationship should actually be a lot more uh, analogous to that of a manager in their team or um, a non-commissioned officer and the soldiers underneath them, where one person organizes and deals with the paperwork and kind of the, the higher level tasks that enable everything else to happen, but they can't do everything by themselves. Right. And speaking as a person who is in management in his day job and really hates to delegate things, I can understand this very, very well. It's right. just like, no, no, I want to do this. I wait, no, I can't do this. I only have 40 hours in my work week and this would require 70. Yeah. Sometimes I think this is just a manifestation of cruelty. It can be. Sometimes, as I said, sometimes for a reason. Yeah. But I think sometimes it is, and let's not discount that. Yeah, that's true. On a more positive note, and I hadn't even thought about this until we talked to Greg Stoltze on the last episode, Mm -hmm. sometimes this is actually, this comes from a very positive place and it's just misapplied. You can get somebody who is very invested as a GM, and they feel like it's their job to keep the players on their toes, to challenge them and to make things interesting by making them hard. And they overdo it. You know, they they get into this role as, you know, the adversary and the opposition. And instead of being like an action movie, it becomes more like one of the battles in World War One, where everybody is just dug in and nobody can do anything. The thing that Greg said uh, that he's incorporating into Unknown Armies 3 is that a lot of the time when you get somebody who's really invested like this, the only thing that they really need to do to kind of turn this problem into a strength is turn it off when prep work is done if you're in the mindset of you know i need to challenge these pcs and i need to figure out what their opposition would do and that sort of thing that's all fine you definitely need to figure that stuff out but once the game starts you need to start looking at things more like a film director instead of like an opponent in a board game so if you find that, you know, your players are getting frustrated or they're complaining that you're kind of screwing them over at every turn and stuff, maybe take a step back, take some of Greg's advice and see if that doesn't work for you. And then we have the probably the most offensive type of uh, of jerk here. Yeah, the creeper. Yep. And uh, for those who maybe don't have English as their first language, we're talking about the guy who's always trying to bring sex and sexuality to the table in inappropriate ways. This can be just, hey, I'm letting my fetishes get in the way of the fun we're having as a group, or this can be, I am really making others uncomfortable at the table or actively trying to force myself onto people. This has been a big topic in the gaming community and industry lately. And we're not going to talk about it in depth here, but that's only because we want to talk about it as a full-length episode with people who are not basically heterosexual males who are kind of at the top of the gamer pyramid. Yeah. People who have had to deal with this or have dealt with it. I mean, I've never had to deal with it except, well, I say that that's not true. I have had to deal with the consequences of it. And I may talk about that on that forthcoming episode. Regardless, for the, for the record, the worst I've had to deal with is some seriously disconcerting stories. And that's bad enough. Yes. The point is, this is not cool. Do not do it. Do not tolerate it if somebody else is doing it either. Yes. And if you are tolerating it, that is as much a problem as doing it because you're basically saying, it's not a problem. It's not my issue to deal with. You know, and you're letting that person represent gamers to whoever is being victimized by it. Again, I'm going to save a lot of this for that forthcoming episode, but if there's not respect at the table you have a serious problem if there's not respect at the table a really really serious problem yeah and you know the next one may also involve respect 
in a certain way. We're talking about a kind of a general bad attitude. Yeah, this this can be just general anger issues. Um, uh, frankly, sometimes it can just be burnout. I mean, a, a GM who hasn't gotten a chance to play in five or six years sometimes gets a little surly. That's true. I think often it's it's disrespect for the people at the table that yeah. causes this in the same way that, you know, we talk about toxicity in online games occasionally. You know, it's why I stopped playing League of Legends, that and the time commitment. But every time I went into a game, it was just, hey, I'm going to get yelled at for not having played in a while. Well, that's no <laughs> Yay, fun. Yay, verbal abuse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, be respectful to the people you're playing with. Sometimes this comes from frustration. In fact, often it comes from frustration, whether frustration at the game or a more general frustration that's just kind of lingering. That's me, incidentally. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I have done this on occasion and always regretted it and I think hopefully apologized every time, but it, it has slipped out. The only thing I can say is call people on it because it's easy to get trapped in in that. You know, you, you're stuck in that mindset and it you have to sometimes get jolted out of it. The um the one other thing that I do want to mention is you can sometimes have a little bit of legitimate frustration. Virtually every podcast in the history of role-playing podcasts has done an episode about problem players. If you're experiencing a lot of that at your GMing table and trying to corral it, it can slip out a little bit emotionally. There's a wide variety of circumstances there. If you're starting to notice that the relationship with the, the group is getting toxic or has kind of a... a tinge of anger to it it's probably time to get everybody to sit down at a non-gaming meal and talk some things out yeah frustration is not strictly speaking the problem it's often how that frustration is handled yeah i can get frustrated if my dice refuse to roll anything above a three i can get frustrated if the players at the table have are not just you know not following my plot but have taken everything I have worked on and told me it's garbage and set it on fire and are gleefully dancing on it. It's frustrating. I can be frustrated if I've just made bad decisions and I'm embarrassed and frustrated that I'm not thinking properly. You know, I mean, I, heck, you can be in the opposite of your first problem. You can be in uh, Michael Matthews' shoes during the last Fear of the Con we were at where he was trying to tell a story where it was somewhat interactive and the players could actually accomplish something, and he could not roll anything but sixes on six-sided dice as the GM. He was just crushing yeah. us every time we tried to do something, and it was really driving him crazy. Yeah, it's how you handle that frustration that causes these attitude issues. Assuming yeah. that it comes from frustration, sometimes there are other sources of this. Again, we're kind of going to gloss over this, or we have glossed over this, because... There are some deeper seated issues that we're not really qualified to talk about other yeah. than to say these are a problem. Don't back away from calling people on them. Expect better behavior at your table. Whether yeah, you're a GM or player. Don't fall back from being somebody's friend over this stuff either if that's what yeah. they need. If you are a good friend to someone, don't let them stop being a person you want to be friends with. Yeah. That's all I'll say there. Next thing I want to talk about is deprotagonizing, which is a big fancy word for saying breaking the GM-player relationship. And this often seems to involve control issues. I, yeah. The way I view the GM-player relationship is kind of a, a very generic exchange, okay? The GM gets to do world building, and they get to set up a story. In return, the players get to be protagonists in that story. Now, the protagonists in this case have control to a certain degree of how that story plays out. This is not a perfect case of the GM tells the story and the players act out the part, right? Right, there's that's a, a play. A shared, yeah, there's a shared <laughs> storytelling. But there's a big problem that manifests in a lot of different ways when the GM takes the protagonist role away from the players because they're basically reneging on that GM player contract. Ultimately, if the GM doesn't want to let the, the players or the player characters affect the story, you've fallen into this trap. I think we all know about railroaders. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah. And we missed out on a great blooper episode called Railroading because we didn't save quite enough of Blurry the Podcast Train. Yeah, okay. So, um, fun fact. We had planned for April Fool's, one of these years, to release a uh, bloopers episode on railroading. There is a train that runs by Peter's house every time we record. And we were just going to have excerpts of every time the train interrupts our recording, like it did tonight, and that's going to be edited out. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I lost all of those in a hard drive crash. <laughs> so we're, we had, yeah, there were some good ones. Uh, Brandon had a Blarry the Podcast Train song. I mean, it. we went nuts with it. Yeah. But not going to happen. I am sorry. Yeah. I have so some Blarry I. the Podcast Train art that I still need to turn into a t-shirt. Yeah. And oh, well. I, I mean, I mentioned Blarry in one of the blog posts on the site, too. So, yeah. But April Fool's jokes that never manifested aside, let's talk about railroading. Okay. Yeah. There, This can come from kind of a good place of, I want to show off this cool thing. And where it falls down and kind of gets twisted is when it's, I am going to show the players this cool thing no matter what else they want to do. Yeah. The GM has a vision for how the story is going to go or this cool set piece that's going to happen and nothing is going to get in the way of that. Yeah, they see themselves more as a film director than a, a game master. Right, or worse, a novelist. Yeah, which, by the way, if you've got a novel in you, just sit down and write it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we'll talk about that. This often speaks to control issues, namely giving up control, problems doing that. And it is a, I think, particularly self-indulgent problem, because a role-playing game should be our story, not my story. You know, we, this podcast is a podcast about collaborative storytelling, not GM storytelling while the players take their places and act their parts. Uh, we talked about some of this in our Virtues and Vices series as well. You know, this I think idea. in more than one episode, actually. Right, because it is ultimately kind of a, a pride thing, a selfishness thing. There are a lot of ways that this shows up, obviously, um... To a certain degree, pet NPCs that do all the important things. We're going to talk about that in a second. Worlds that are empty except for where the story is. Yeah, blank canvas problem. Yes. And, of course, the very traditional railroading where you are literally on a train going to the plot. There are obstacles to either, either side of you where you cannot get off the rails. <laughs> the, the tabletop equivalent of the invisible walls you bump into in some computer games. Right. Uh, no, he won't do that. No, there's a T-Rex in the way. No, you can't do that. The enemy has an ability that neutralizes it. Whatever the GM does to keep the story going the way they want to and neutralize any input that the players have into the direction of the story, the direction of the encounter, whatever it is. Just a real quick sidebar on this before we get too far into some of the other aspects this can just be a problem of an experience if you have somebody who is running their first game and they're trying to run it out of a module sometimes a new gm can panic and try and force people back into the path that's in the module right i think that's a, i think that's still a control thing i still think that's a control thing but they don't want to give up control because they are unsure you know, they they don't feel comfortable winging it yet. Yeah, in that case, it's more of a confidence problem than a control freak one. Right. They're they're compensating by trying to get control over the game because that's all they know how to do. And that's, yep. that's fine. At that point, there's some teaching to do. Yeah, everybody starts from someplace. Right. Now, I mentioned pet NPCs or GMPCs. These are not to be confused with your normal GMC or Game Master character or... NPC. There's sometimes the GMPC, the the game master player character, is difficult to spot compared to an NPC, and usually there's a degree of plausible deniability. Oh no no, it's just a just an NPC. It's fine. My definition for a GMPC is a game master character who is a protagonist just like the player characters. This has come up a couple of times in the games I've played, usually because the GM wants 
to violate that player GM contract. They want to do the world building and they want to have all the fun the players do with their protagonist characters, which robs the player characters of spotlight time. Yes, and I remember you needling me for doing this even when we were planning to rotate GMs and I had to attach my player character to the group you were traveling with. Yes, yes I did. And you did a very good job of keeping them out of the way, right? I I think now I would not, having thought about it some more, because you very carefully made sure that the character you introduced to be your character later when we rotated GMs was not a protagonist. Yeah, he kind of deliberately stayed in the background in a lot of things. Yes, <laughs> almost to the point of unbelievability to some degree. But you were doing your best to <laughs> make sure that this character... firewood? What? <laughs> yeah, you were doing a very good job of making sure that this character did not become a protagonist. At least not before his appointed hour. Their efforts did not affect the direction of the story. Every once in a while, by the way, this manifests not as a single GMPC but as a tendency to create powerful and important uh, GMCs for every subplot and every adventure. There may not be one for the whole story, but the GM always seems to have one on hand who's better than you. I do want to say that sometimes it's okay and fun to let the players support a Game Master character who's got their own story thing going on, right? I think we all kind of know the, the episode where you've got your normal group of protagonists, but... They're going to help out this one guy, and really, he's the one who gets things done in this episode, and we all kind of lurk in the background and smile and say, yeah, we helped him. He couldn't have done it without us, but he's going to take the credit, and it's cool. That's fun, right? That's a cool story. There's a reason that is not the story every single episode. Yeah. This needs to be a break and a, a point of contrast where you get to see some complexity in the world and complexity in the characters, you know, the protagonists and highlight how they usually make decisions and, and set, set that apart from this story a little bit, you know, kind of let them play their own foil in some ways. This can also work. Okay. If you have a protagonist that's attached to the player group who is somehow subordinate to the player characters and stays that way. I had my wife's, player character in a game that I ran way back in the day had what was essentially a haunted sword and the ghost that was haunting it was friendly to the party so he was almost like a um a henchman or you know something like that or uh like the kind of character that you get for having the leadership feed in D&D yeah and the thing that kind of worked about him was first of all the party group decided they liked this NPC a lot which is always good. So I actually increased his role a little more because they kept asking for him. But unless the player characters kind of asked him to come out of the sword, he was just in the sword. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like you can ask him to come out and talk to him or even have him wield the sword for a little while a couple of times. But he's going to stay in there unless you call him. <laughs> well, and it's he's still not a protagonist. He's on their side, but he's not making story decisions. Yeah. Uh, The knight that's got a squire is very much in the same kind of a position. Uh, I think if the player characters are responsible for the the GMC or NPC, it's probably okay. Well, I I think even then you're trying to... it, It doesn't really matter whether they're responsible or not. It's a question of... Is the GM defining a protagonist in the story? Somebody who, like the player characters, makes decisions, affects the arc of the story in some way. It's going to have a lot of different faces when that happens, but if you look at the ultimate story effect, that's how you tell whether this is a problem or not. So how do we deal with it? I think this is one you just got to call them on. I tend to agree. And and partly I agree because I think this is subtle and GMs often don't want to do it. They just fall into the habit of doing it, especially railroading. You know, I'm used to pushing my players along and making sure that the story progresses at all. And over time it becomes, no, guys, keep going, keep going. You can't go. No, don't go over there. Don't go over there. No, go, go this way. Yes. Okay. In, yes. In here. It becomes a problem. It becomes a habit. If I've 
been a player for a long time, maybe I'm not entirely comfortable being a GM, and so I kind of want to get the player thing in, too. I like making characters. Maybe I've been GMing for a long time, and I really want to be a player, so I'm going to have a a player character, because I want to be part of a party again. You gotta just call people on it. Yeah, it also bears mentioning that not every bit of GM guidance is railroading. There, There can be times where, as a GM, your players will do something that's completely unexpected or shows that they don't know something important about the setting and it is okay to be like um guys are you sure you want to do that because this and this will probably happen or i gotta be honest with you i completely did not foresee you guys doing anything like this i need some time to think about it right for railroaders i think helping them do something other than run the game with their story, helps a lot. Uh, You were joking about writing a novel. I think writing a novel or something like that is a perfectly valid way to handle this. If I want to tell a particular story and I'm really disappointed that the player characters aren't letting me tell my story in this game, well, why don't I just write the story? Yeah, I mean, writing isn't always the easiest thing in the world, but it can be very satisfying. Yeah. And this is from a guy with a couple of published short stories, so I feel like I can talk about this at least a little bit authoritatively. Right. And if it's not right, do something. Do you do something creative in your setting? If you have a bunch of ideas and you want to get them out, find some way to create that. Draw the scenes, paint them, podcast it. You know, just like seriously, just download Audacity, get a cheap microphone, and just talk it out, right? Do it to yourself. And then, hey, you've got the first draft of a story right there. That's how I write stuff sometimes, because I hate writing and love talking to myself. Like, it's a good way to just talk, and then I just kind of, I've dictated to myself. Good. First draft. Done. Now I just edit. Edit and revise. Yeah, and if you're going to just dictate to yourself, I mean, you don't really need to buy a microphone at all. Most webcams have them. Most gaming headsets have them. You you wouldn't want to release that, but, you know, it's it's perfectly fine for hearing what you said to yourself. Yeah, or, you know, record little podcast dramas in your setting. Whatever it is, you know, do something creative in that setting. Write background. Who cares? Find other ways to practice giving up control in that setting. And ultimately, I think talk to your players, and maybe the problem is that there aren't enough boundaries about you know, what's going on in the game. I don't want my players to do this thing because the story's about this. Have you told them that? Or have you just made sure they can't? Why don't you want to? Is it is it just a control thing? Or is there a story thing you don't want to deal with and haven't fleshed out? Is it, hey, this kind of veers into an uncomfortable topic? What yeah, is it? Yeah, in which case you really need to just have the lines and veils conversation instead of railroading. Right. I haven't thought about that is totally fine. Just tell your players, we have always been in favor of metagaming. <laughs> I think railroading sometimes comes from the fact that GMs have been told, don't metagame. No metagame conversations. Well, talking about the game and what's okay in the game and, hey, can we keep the story going this way is totally fine. Do it. Yeah. It will save you a lot of headache and heartache. And players, same thing. Talk to your GMs and say, listen, I kind of want to get this story and not your story. How do we compromise? How do we make it happen? One other thing that I would advise as an exercise for a GM that knows that they have some trouble with railroading and wants to break themselves of the habit is try and do a sandbox campaign. Create a setting or take an existing one that you've made or that, you know, is published or something. And instead of doing like a story of this happens and then this happens and then this needs to happen and then this needs to happen. Just come up with like an events calendar and revise it after every session because your players are going to change it with, if the PCs don't do anything, this is what will happen. Yeah. And then let the PCs do things and change it accordingly. I could not agree more. Last set of problems. Uh, I think all kind of relate to... Problems with detail. We... There's a a certain kind of gamer who is super focused on realism. 
right? Is this realistic enough? You know, is verisimilitude is their byword. There's another type of gamer who doesn't care about realism and wants to throw it all out and just make it all up on the fly and doesn't care about consistency even from game session to game session. Both of these are problems. System Mastery, which is a great podcast, if you are real sensitive to foul language and other stuff like that, don't listen to it. It's definitely, you know, explicit. But they do a really good job of breaking down role-playing games, old role-playing games. And many of those are heavily invested in simulationist gameplay. Lots and lots and lots of realism. Or what passes for realism in some of those games, which often tends to just be crunch. Both sides of this this detail problem make it so players can't trust the rules of the game, because the rules of the game don't matter. It's all GM fiat. Yeah, or the rules of the game matter more than anything that they'll want to do, and they've become an end unto themselves, and that turns into a straitjacket. Yeah, it's paralyzing. Yes. I've used this analogy before, but it's been probably a year or two, so I'm going to drag it out again. If you're playing in a Wild West game, and you think that it's a necessary component of every Wild West game, that a graze might get wool fibers from your wool coat into the wound, and you could die of sepsis after several days of lingering bed rest, that's a problem if you're trying to do a cinematic Western. Right. If we're playing Dogs in the Vineyard, I don't care about that. Yeah. If we're playing Deadlands, I really don't care about it. Yeah, I care about interesting, difficult moral decisions when I'm playing Dogs in the Vineyard and cool gunfights with bullets sparking off my magic coat. You know? Yeah. If it's Deadlands, I wa- I'm fighting zombies. I don't care. Yeah. I have you know? a steampunk Gatling pistol. Yeah. What do you mean, it, infection? <laughs> you know? This is not what the game is about. And this becomes super crunchy, first of all, but it also becomes a way for GMs to punish players, and I think often this appeals to the kind of GM who takes a perverse pleasure in denying players fun. You did a thing? Oh, I am punishing you for having fun, right? It basically, when you act, I can find a way to make that not rewarding. This this is also the sort of person, and these don't always overlap, this is the sort of person who insists on applying real physics to an otherwise balanced game system and says, oh, well, it wouldn't work like that in real life. Physics works like this, uh, and so this happens. Ah, uh, yes, the portable hole bag of holding arrow WMD right. in 3.5. Well, yeah, or the gnomish water rocket. Who the what now? The gnomish water rocket. Okay, so this is a D&D thing again. D&D is notorious for this, mostly because those kinds of people all hung out on the character optimization forums. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were among them back in the dark days. <laughs> yeah, so the decanter of endless water is an item that's been around in D&D for a very long time. Basically, hey, here's the thing. It's a, it's a bucket, it's a decanter. An infinite amount of water comes out of it, and it's got a couple of settings, and one of them is a geyser setting. Okay, cool. Well, the geyser's like, oh, it's got, you know, it puts out this much water, you know, so and so many gallons. Takes a certain kind of strength check to keep it steady, or you fall over, yada, yada, yada. Okay, cool. Some basic game mechanics of, yeah, it, uh, you can pour fresh water all the time, and sometimes you can use it to knock down enemies. Or use it as a fire hose to put out a fire. Right. It's got all sorts of creative uses. And then there's the kind of people who look at that and go, well, now, hold on. How much water is this really? Okay, if I do this, and if I tighten the aperture of it down and make it out of adamantine so that it doesn't shatter, uh, yeah, I can produce about, oh, 1,500 foot-pounds of thrust out of this two-inch gap. Oh, if we shrink it down to two centimeters, we can go about Mach 45 from a decanter of endless water. Uh, <laughs> Leaving a trail of steam behind you as you go. Yes. Because that water's not getting out of there in liquid form. <laughs> right. So 
yada yada yada. And usually this is bad half-applied physics, but whatever. The point is, we've taken something that has perfectly fine game mechanics and turned it into something either game-breaking or useless or whatever because we've insisted on overanalyzing it. Yeah. No one cares. It's a cool fire hose thing that you can carry in your backpack that knocks people down and doesn't really do damage. Neat. Now, this can be fun as an intellectual exercise. I mean, a lot of the stuff on those forums was just that. Pedantry and, hey, I get to show off my physics and math knowledge. That's fine. There's a certain fun in that. But... Don't overdo it. Yeah, if you're trying to make game rulings on it, don't. Just don't. Now, on the other hand... There are GMs who just don't care about rules. They don't care about consistency. They don't care about physics. These are the ones who say, well, oh yeah, you can do whatever and it doesn't matter, right? doesn't matter if it makes any sense at all. It seems fun. Or worse, well, my players want to do it and if I don't let them do it, they're not going to have fun. So I don't. I'm not going to say no. You know, what is fun right now for the players? It's it's a sort of doting GM of, oh, well, they're, they're having fun. It doesn't matter. Rather than, hey, let's do what's right for the story and make something good come out of it that will be satisfying over the long term. Now, in a goofy con one-shot, that attitude is probably fine. Absolutely. It's great, because who cares? It's four hours, right? Yep. But... If I let you get away with whatever every session, pretty soon it becomes unsatisfying. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time maintaining any kind of continuous narrative arc. Right. Or if I just say, well, you know, the no matter what the rules do, even if it's completely game-breaking and, you know, world-breaking, it doesn't matter. It's the rules. I'm not going to let a good story get in the way of the rules. You know, there are GMs like that. And the bad side of that is the characters that I have made, again, with the character optimization forums who, you know, again, D&D. D&D seems to be a a real source of these. That's a lingua franca. Everybody knows it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. This is the kind of guy who can run 800 miles in a round and do 1.6 billion D6 damage to somebody at the end of that line. Because why not? <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay, that's cool. Can anybody have a good story with that? Hey, cool. You're a you're a cleric? That's neat. Guess what I can do? Now, I will make one small exception to this, but I'm going to attach a caution to it. If you are using this kind of ridiculous stuff that should not work in the setting as a brief setup for something else, it can work. However, <laughs> Even when they did that in The Matrix, the first one that came out, I almost walked out of the theater right before they grabbed me back. Because I went in for a fun action movie, and all of a sudden this guy's like, mouth is sealed shut in an interrogation room, and then he wakes up randomly in his bed, and you don't know what's going on. It makes no earthly sense. Yeah. It started too later, but you can run into the, the kind of effect where your players are like, I was in the theater, where... There's a chance if you don't pull it back and things start making sense again real quickly, you might just lose them. So you can play around with this, but just be careful. Yeah. I, I think be careful is definitely a, a good watchword. Yeah. So how do we deal with this? First, cut your GM some slack. Your GM may not know everything you know. And GMs, yeah. your players may not know everything you know. And they should not have to be an expert in your field to run a game. Yeah. Okay. Certainly they should not be an expert in the fields you half remember from that one high school class or your intro class in college 10 years ago to run a game to yeah. your exact where the, where the state of the art has probably changed since you were in it anyways. Well, who cares about state of the art? Oh, yeah. Wasn't there this one principle? Yeah, that says you can't do that. You know, yeah. no, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, people don't really work that way because um, when I took intro to psych they said something about that i think a long time ago maybe and you're bringing this into the game why right 
it's distracting and it's frustrating. GMs don't do that. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. say that. This is also a player problem. Let's not pretend otherwise, but we're talking about GMs here. Okay. If your game makes sense and everybody's happy with it, stop bickering. Stop lawyering. Stop being pedantic. Just have fun. Okay. To use the movie analogy again, one of the key areas where something doesn't work anywhere like this in the real world is the whole being able to hack a password one digit at a time. Right. Absolutely does not work in the real world. No way no. to do it. Completely unrealistic. Convention in zillions of spy movies works perfectly fine as a narrative device. Yeah. It gives you like a kind of a countdown thing, which increases tension, you know, so the audience can see that progress is happening. And, oh, man, are they going to get that last digit before the guard comes around the corner? Yeah, that's exciting. That's tense. Yeah. Stop telling us how MD5 hashes work. Yeah, exactly. Okay. One thing you can do ahead of time is agree how detailed the game is going to be. I, you should do this anyway, and some of this comes into, here's the setting. You know, here's the uh, the setting that we're playing in. Here's the system that we're using. It's all the standard pregame discussion and decision. But don't be afraid to say, look, I want a game that feels like this, and I'm going to rule like that. You know? If you set expectations ahead of time and set limits on how far you're going to go one way or the other, that kind of helps keep everybody honest. Well, and I think this is also one of those things where it's a better late than never kind of a thing. If you never had this conversation and you're starting to have some of these problems, it's okay to sit down and say, hey, guys, I was thinking, you know, this and this and this about the game, and I'd kind of like this level of realism, and I'm thinking for this kind of a feel, and I'd like the story to be about these kind of things. Is that okay with you all? You know, does does that work? You know, or do we need to sit down and, you know, kind of hash some of this out and get everybody's assumptions in the right place? Next thing I'm going to say, do not overrule the system that you are using and the rules that you've all agreed to use unless there's a really, really good reason that isn't, well, I think it should work like this. Okay? If there is a, a game-stopping problem, yeah, definitely overrule it. Right. If you can't remember it off the top of your head and you don't want to look it up right now, come up with something that seems reasonable and then go look it up for the next time. But yeah, if this is the one of the kind artifact from like the ancient days that doesn't behave like anything else in the world. Sure. You know, the MacGuffin right. can can bend the system a little bit if it has to. Right. But you chose those rules for a reason. Yeah. And if the rules are consistently a problem, it might be time to look at changing systems, not constantly making up things, right? And by the way, the system requiring too much out of you as a GM is a perfectly valid reason to change it. Yes. Uh, this is one of the scary things about the Rogue Trader game that I am running. It is super crunchy. It is super duper crunchy. It's not fun. The game is fun. The system is a jumbled mess of lots and lots of numbers and checkboxes and feats and talents and all these little modifiers that you have to keep track of. It's crunchier than a bag of Doritos. Ah, uh, yeah, it's real bad. The game is fun. It's fine. I would not be running it otherwise. But there's a lot to keep track of. I would not want to run a long campaign of Rogue Trader. For that reason, it would take too much time. I don't have time for it. I don't care. Yeah. But for a one shot, yeah, I'm willing to put in the time. That seems fun. Uh, one last note. If there's not enough consistency, if you're having the inconsistency problem, just take notes when you rule on things or have someone else jot that down. And that is the rule going forward. Okay. One of the most wonderful things you can do for your GM as a player is agree to be the scribe. Yeah. I Please Players take notes, okay? I know it's fun, and I know you're in the moment, right? We encourage you to be in the moment and roleplay, but taking notes about things helps a lot. And they don't have to be super detailed. GMs, when you make a decision about something, if you, if you say, hey, I'm going to house rule X, write that down, okay? Decide what to do with it after the session. I'll just say that. Okay, we've talked a lot about this. Let's give a couple last pieces of general advice, and then I think it's time to wrap this up. Yeah. First, player feedback, okay? 
ask your players how things are going and what the problems are. And don't accept the first, eh, it's fine, as an answer. <laughs> um, and players give honest, constructive feedback. Yes. And if you think of something after the game, it's okay just, you know, put it in a nicely worded email or talk to your GM, you know, verbally if you get the chance or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes this stuff doesn't come up right away. Yeah. If it comes up later, it's still useful. Our group has a Facebook group, a private Facebook group that we use for stuff like this, because essentially it means that all week we can have a conversation about how things are going in the game and what needs to happen for the next session and whether we're scheduling you know, stuff appropriately, are we gaming at all, etc. But the big thing here is I can, on Wednesday, say, hey, that game last Saturday, this has been bugging me. Or, guys, I've been thinking, I don't think I ran this correctly. What would you guys think about this change? Or even, hey, when you did this in the game last week, I really liked that. More of that, please. Because that's right. useful feedback, too. Right. We've been kind of focusing on the negative here. Positive feedback is very important. Because do more of this, that's rewarding, is great. That lets me know where I succeeded as a yeah. GM. Detailed feedback in either case is especially useful. You know, I just, I liked that or I didn't like that. It's somewhat useful, but it's not as good as I liked this and here's why, or I didn't like this and this is what bugged me about it. I think sometimes it's okay to start with, you know, this has this bugged me, right? Sure. That's better than nothing, certainly. It, just keep the conversation going. Don't just say, eh, this bugged me, and then provide nothing else. When somebody replies, what exactly? Can you pin it down? So, try and work that out, right? Respect and empathy. This really factors into all of these, especially the attitude and bad behavior issues that we talked about. But respect your players and players respect each other and the GM. Uh, respect yourself. Respect matters a lot. Be charitable to each other. Be kind and courteous. Be humble at the table. We've we did a whole series about virtues and vices. Those virtues matter because those are ways that we treat each other like Christians. Yeah. Right? And witness to each other and our servants to each other, that servant discipleship. And heck, right? the old advice from Paul, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Exactly. Be that for each other at the table. And in that same spirit, be willing to let go of things. And this is especially true as a GM, because you're going to have done some amount of prep work, probably, even just, oh, this would be a cool idea. And if that doesn't happen, let it go. It's okay. Yeah. Don't throw it away. Write it down for later. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You you still did that work. You still have it. You can still use it somewhere some other time. Right. Or you can realize that it's terrible and then throw it away like right. I've done yes. a few times. Also that. Be willing to let go, not just of ideas that you had, but also ways that you wanted the game to play out. I always, when I'm coming up with game sessions, I come up with a scenario and I come up with set pieces because I, I kind of design in moments like I want this moment to happen and I set those up. Any of them that are involved in the resolution, I throw out. I don't care about those because we may not get there. But in the setup, I want it to be, hey, here's a cool moment that you have and here's a cool set piece and you go, oh, that's cool. And then I basically just say, all right, and here's the problem. Deal with it. Good luck. Now, that doesn't always lead to a coherent story from episode to episode in that story. But for the Shadowrun game, for example, yeah, who yeah, cares? Yeah, sure led to some episodic fun. Right. And that was what I'm going for. For the, um, the Rogue Trader game, I'm making sure to incorporate clues, but I don't care how you get those clues to go from point A to point B to point C. It's, it is designed to be a somewhat railroady mini session. It's basically a con game stretched over two, maybe three nights, you know, because we do two hour gaming sessions. Yeah. It's basically a con game. It's a, this is a short introductory adventure. That's all I'm writing. I'm okay. Putting enough clues to point to the next place and letting you guys 
just do whatever when you get there, and I'll figure out how to put those clues in. Hey, as long as I get to play the uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. That is, you're set there. Trust me. <laughs> I think that's about it. Yeah, it's been a lot. I know there's a lot that we've talked about. We've probably repeated ourselves a few times. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I want to hear. It's back a podcast. From you guys. They're here to listen to us talk, Grant. Well, yes, just. I I have a three and a half year old. I get tired of hearing the same thing over and over. I'm sure our listeners do too. Yeah, fair enough. She's in she's in the stage where she wants to see the same episode of a TV show every single time. Oh, oh dear. Yeah, yeah. and often it's just the same song in the same episode. Rewind it, rewind it. Ugh. No, yeah. no. Trust me, we we've been working on no. Let's do new things. Let's do different things. But. It's it's a learning thing. And I'm sure our audience would like to not hear... Hey, I'm 37 and I still put yeah, a song on repeat every once in a while. I want to hear back from our listeners on this. Because, A, I'm sure there are other problems that need to be talked about. B, I'm sure you all have different advice for handling these problems. And possibly di- different diagnoses of the problems in general. And C, I'm sure you all have examples of having seen these in the real world. I don't want to turn this into a GM horror story kind of episode or comment no, thread. No, Happy Jacks is there for that. <laughs> That's what they do. That is their stock in trade. If you want that, yeah. go listen to them. I do want to hear how you solve these problems, though, because that's the kind of information people need to have. Not just, this was awful, but this was awful, and I dealt with it like X, or somebody I know dealt with it this way, and it worked well. Yeah, because you, you definitely want tools to avoid making this stuff seem like it's it's hopeless or insurmountable, because it's not. Exactly. And on that note, I think it's time to wrap this up. Thanks for yeah. listening. I, I really appreciate it. Again, if you like what we do, rate and review us. Share us around. That always helps. If you have episode ideas, things you want to hear us talk about, definitely let us know. We have a few things on our plate, uh, a few people we want to have on and have scheduled, but, you know, we're always willing to try and squeeze in these other ideas and i think that's about it got anything else peter nope i think i'm good here too cool well from all of us here at saving the game have a good one take it easy we'll catch you next time this podcast episode is a production of saving the game and may be redistributed under a creative commons non-commercial non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given our music is by ryan humphrey Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.